0: A was it Wednesday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. My days are all screwed up. And I never do these intros because typically Felix does. But, I mean, for anyone watching this, Felix ain't here. We used to call these, what, the inmate run the asylum podcast, CJ? But oh, yeah. I'm joined by CJ Woodling, a longtime contributor at Crash the Pond. Former, former managing editor at Anaheim Calling. longtime friend of both me and Felix. Uh, as B-Doll says, Felix looks different now. Wow. Um, so, first off, I did not tell you that I was going to do this, so I'm just surprising with it. Congratulations to you, CJ. <laughs> Everyone, please give CJ a massive congrats to him and his future bride. They had a fantastic trip, and CJ proposed. So, Congratulations to both of you. We're really really happy for both of you.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, I got to propose in a, on a Costa Rica trip, get on my level. Um no, but it was it it, it was wonderful. We were incredibly excited and
0: yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. And so everyone make sure you reach out to CJ, say congrats. And um so before we get into some of the news, it's been a while since you've been on. And so, what are your overall thoughts on the team? where how the season went where things are going Uh, just for another different voice different perspective it's probably going to be similar to me and Felix but I think you bring a little bit of a different element than us both of us so I think might as well I want to get your take on it I think the
1: season went flawlessly if you completely ignore all of my preseason predictions yeah Um, if you ignore those and that those didn't exist everything went to plan Realistically though, yeah, it was not great. And I think a lot of people who follow me know that I am just as much, you know, on the board of Team Tank as anybody, but also realistically, I hate being on board of Team Tank. Like I make jokes about it because it's the only way to kind of maintain sanity for watching how bad that team was most nights this last season. And, um, you know, but at the the end of the day, knowing that they have the best chances at a generational talent, that no matter what happens, they're going to get, in all likelihood, a franchise-altering player. Um, at, At the end of the day, I'm still feeling very good about the Ducks' future moving forward. And even though this season was certainly rough... It will all be worth it, um, assuming that this prospect that whoever that the Ducks draft with one of the first three picks ends up panning out like we think they will.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, it gives the Ducks right a, a what, 45% chance of top two pick. I and mean, the top two in this draft are, are clear-cut Bedard, Fantilli. So, I mean, we, we've talked about it, but it, it's it's a great way for the future to to go, basically. Definitely. Um, so anything else you want to add before we start jumping into Matt McElvain and then we'll we'll get in some questions that that's kind of the plan for this episode. We've got a bunch of questions. We're kind of hitting the, the middle of the off season where it's pre-draft lottery pre-draft there. This is more of a Q&A time for things. So anything else you want to talk about?
1: No, just uh, thanks for having me back on. It's been a little while, like I said. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be back on and, and contributing a little bit and getting to talk about Ducks hockey and and answer some questions.
0: Yeah. So uh, the big news, though, from the week. So kind of buried the lead a little bit there. But the Ducks announced that they have hired uh, Matt McIlvain to be the San Diego Goals head coach. This almost feels like at this point it was the worst kept secret with the fact that Elliot Friedman had, had reported that the Ducks were really interested in him. And actually, uh, Derek uh, Lee, uh, fellow contributor at the, the Sporting Tribune, everyone here should know him, beat writer for the Tribune, uh, was texting with me today. and mentioned that the fact that this is something that really wasn't that uh, hidden. If you kind of look up Matt McElvain's name on Twitter, um, there are some articles from back in February about Austrian newspapers essentially linking him to the Ducks and to the San Diego Goals. So it's not as if this was that big of a secret. Um, I mean, the fact that Elliott Freeman reported it, the fact that there's been a lot of hype. And I know uh, Felix did a really good job of breaking down Matt Malkfane. He dove into the videos of him on on YouTube and really dove into kind of how this seems like a forward-thinking type of guy. There was also a really good article that uh, was put out by, I believe it was Red Bull uh, Munich. I think when he was an assistant coach there, or maybe it was Red Bull Salisbury. I can't recall. But you and I both had tweeted it out. that really dove into his views on the game and how – he really kind of thinks from a top-down mentality or thinks that everyone has to kind of work together. And so maybe top-down is not the best way to put that. That's probably the opposite. But regardless, this is a guy that is more of a forward thinker, someone that is working with each one, every person on a personal level. Um, There was a really good quote about J.J. Paterka and how um, he showed him something that Braden Point was doing and how he thought that that could really work for his game. And J.J. Paterka went and did that the very next day. Um, but so for those of you that don't know, Matt McElwain, uh, has taken kind of a non-traditional route to the NHL, uh, or to the AHL as a head coach. He is someone that never really broke into the NHL as a player. I think had knee surgeries, uh, in his height, in his, uh, USHL time or NCAA time that really limited his career to, uh, playing AHL, uh, ECHL over in Germany. And that really led him to being a coach over there. And he coached a little bit as assistant head coach in Orlando and then made his way over to uh, Salzburg to be an assistant coach, then to um, uh, Munich to be an assistant coach and won a bunch of titles there before he jumped back to Salzburg as the head coach and was there for parts or for four seasons. And in those four seasons, one, what was it? I think the Ducks put out that he won three titles. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm. Looking, I mean, it, basically, he's won a lot
0: in yes. Europe. Yes, and he was, and he won as assistant coach. So, before I kind of give my opinion, I want to get your opinion on this and kind of your view of this and how this kind of fits with the Ducks.
1: Yeah, I I really do like this hire. I you know, admittedly, did not know a lot about him prior to his name really being brought up by Elliot Friedman, and the the more I read into him, the more I look into him. The more I like. He is the type of guy who uh seems to get buy-in from his players wherever he goes. He knows how to develop people, he knows how to work with them, he knows how to pull the best out of each person individually. Not just as people, but as hockey players as well. I think that the the story that you said about JJ Paterka, you know, trying to emulate Braden Point, like that was that's a perfect example of the one-on-one approach of where Matt McIlvain seems to believe that. Not every, the same approach, the same teaching, the same coaching style doesn't work with every single person. You have to meet people where they're at. Um, and I think that's something that maybe that Dallas Aikens had on a personal level, on a player, tactician, actual, like on ice level, not quite as much. And we've seen, that we saw that a lot over the years. So to see that McIlvain has that, he not only has the personal qualities the leadership qualities but the tactical mind as well and the success to back it up in europe i think spells really really good news for the ducks moving into the future whether if if mcclvain is just the head coach in san diego for a time being or whether he's the future ducks head coach
0: yep uh yeah exactly and so yeah he won salzburg to back-to-back league championships in 21 22 and 22 23 uh and won the uh title also as an assistant coach in salzburg and he also won a bunch of titles uh in munich also with red bull um yeah and so you kind of touch on it that he's definitely someone that i think is i mean he's only 37 he seems like he's someone that has really gone in and tried to to speak on a similar level with these players and work with them on a similar level instead of um trying to be this top-down dictator in a way that's his way or the highway and really trying to work with them and understand and really seems like a very perfect coach from what we're seeing for what is going to be a very young AHL team. And the, there are some people out there that I think have asked, okay, why didn't, why did they wait to do this this year? Why didn't, uh, if, if Pat Verbeek was so high on him where it's kind of become this really, uh, not well kept secret this season, why wouldn't they go ahead and do this uh, do this last season? And why would they hire Roy Sommer? And I think part of it, I mean, you don't really know what Matt McIlvain's situation was. Maybe he had another year on his contract. He wanted to honor that. There's also potentially the situation of Pavaric kind of knew what the goals were going to be this year. They They had basically three prospects like three somewhat highly touted prospects and not even that highly, highly touted, but I mean, Jacob Perot, Braden Tracy, Drew Hellison. These are two first round picks and a second round pick and Hellison's a guy they just traded for. I mean, you could also add Regenda and grew there, but those are more lower profile type of guys. So this wasn't necessarily a team that was brimming with these prospects where you really want to focus on development for them. And so this was maybe essentially a way for him to have one more season over in Austria before coming over. And I think that that's why Roy Sommer was hired. That's why he was kind of the stopgap coach in San Diego, whereas uh, McIlvain is coming in to be this. And also one other thing from that that article was that he, he really focuses on a high-pressure, aggressive, forechecking type of game, which kind of leads to my question of – or not question, but I guess thought. It's fascinating that they hired him first and not an NHL coach because – As we just talked about, right, this Ducks team is going to or this goals team is going to have a lot of young kids coming in that are going to become NHLers. Like, I I think there's no doubt about there's going to be a decent amount of guys on the goals next year. that are going to become NHLers. And so with that being the case, you kind of want a coach that matches what you're doing at the NHL level. So it's kind of a seamless transition. And so I think in some ways and let me know if you disagree with this, but I think it kind of gives you some insight into what they're probably going to look for at the NHL level. 100%
1: One hundred percent agree. I absolutely agree, and I had mentioned this previously, but and 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 we've talked about this, Jake, too, especially in the Discord, that if you want to run a successful developmental pipeline, specifically from the AHL to the NHL, and you see this in other sports too, you see this in the NBA between the G League and them, you see it in baseball a lot with uh, the the minor league levels, you need to implement. A consistent organizational wide vision um, through what you can control now the 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 ducks aren't going to have a ton of control over players in like junior or other leagues or something like that but having direct control over the ahl franchise gives them a lot of freedom and we saw bob murray try to do this with dallas akins and randy Carlyle to try and implement similar systems and a thread like like bob murray kind of had the right idea at the time he just had the wrong people in place the idea being that you run similar systems you run the same organizational culture you run the same coaching styles essentially between your ahl and nhl because that makes the transition so much easier you get a much more consistent situation and you can develop all your prospects that way but that requires some level of execution and what we know about matt McIlvain is number one the dude wants to win yeah. right with 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 akins yeah. we kind of knew that he was more focused on like just effort on a night in night out basis not necessarily Hell, he, caring about the He even the mentioned that recently systems.
0: on like a he mentioned that recently
1: Exactly so like he didn't really care about that he didn't necessarily care like like he didn't have that like winning backbone number 1 the thing that we see is Matt McIlvane wants to win and not only does he want to win he's got the pedigree to back it up by how many championships he's won over in Europe Right. So this is a guy who knows what winning is like. He knows what it takes to build a winning team at that level. Now AHL, NHL is going to be a different level. The jury remains out on that to see if he can do the same thing. But the philosophy we know is there. He's like you said. He's young. He's up and coming. He has modern tactics and yeah. systems. He is that tactically minded. He is a modern leadership approach where he wants to get buy-in from everybody. Mm-hmm. And as the as he said in that article that you and I shared, the dictator era is over. You can't do that anymore. And he understands that. So I think this is very much setting the table for the type of coach that is going to eventually end up taking over the Ducks. And that to me, like, I can't think of any coaches, realistically, any retread NHL coaches who are available, who probably share that. Who, Who would you say? Bruce. i will give you that bruce maybe is the only one but i don't even think for necessarily wants to go that route i agree um so i think that we are going to see someone with fresh modern takes a modern approach to the game and somebody who mirrors a lot of what McElvain represents
0: yeah and i think one other i think it's just very fresh um i think the viewpoints that he's going to bring because he as dumb as it sounds and i shouldn't I say that now it's going to just come out sounding very dumb. He doesn't have the stench of North American hockey on him. Yes. Where he's gone over to Europe and has been over in Europe for, let's see, uh what, since the 14 or since the 13, 14 season, he's been there for, what is that? 10 years, 10 seasons, right? It is how much that would be. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. 10 seasons. He's been there for 10 seasons. Like that's a significant portion of time. Playing on a different ice surface, and so first off, to one other side point, I'm just going all over the place, but I think him going to the AHL makes sense because he has not coached on a smaller ice surface. He's been coaching over in Europe, where it's bigger ice surface. It is in some ways a different game. So I think having him start in the AHL as that transition, I think, is a very good decision, and not having him make that jump right away. Um, and so I get why they're doing that. And if long term he ends up being the play. I think that's fine. I don't think this is an indication they're going to hire a stopgap coach because there Agreed. is some there is still some growing pains. I think for Matt McAvain with learning it. But I think it is still refreshing that he's going to bring these new ideas. You you look at kind of the the way those leagues are. There's not really fighting over in Europe. That's not necessarily something that's there. And that's something that instantly came to my mind because that's something that is so so much larger in the minor leagues in North America than it is even in the NHL. The fighting's still big in the AHL. And so I'm going to be very, very curious to see how Matt McElwain handles those types of things, right? How, how he, how he does with this ice time. Is he going to start coaching a team that just focuses on these younger guys, giving them ice time, not worrying necessarily about having someone that's known as a fighter in his lineup. Is that something that he's going to do? Or is that just not going to happen? And so these very more European tactics, how are those going to transition into the AHL? And that's, I think what's going to be very, very fascinating to see
1: yeah i i I totally agree i think that the 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 important thing to really remember here like in my view and i know a lot of other people who share this view some of the it's it's not that north america doesn't have new young modern different thinking coaches i think there's several of them in north america especially in the ncaa the ncaa has a lot of those coaches in my opinion Um, But you don't see that a whole lot, I would say, in junior leagues, in, um, in even the AHL, obviously in the NHL. You don't see a lot of difference in thinking in hockey. Most of the much different kind of innovative, and I'm not necessarily saying successful, but like innovative new ways of thinking and new ways of coaching are coming out of Europe right now. Europe is a hotbed for experimenting in hockey, especially on a coaching level and on a strategy level. Um, And I know there are a lot of European scouts, a lot of European observers who have been screaming for more European coaches to get more opportunities in North America. And Matt McIlvain is a perfect example of somebody who deserves that kind of a chance and who is going to get that chance, but as you mentioned, there is some adjustments. There are going to be some things that he's going to have to change up about his game. The hope is is that he can still bring the creativity, the the different thinking that is becoming a little bit more common in Europe and being able to adapt that for a North American game.
0: Yeah, and I, I should say this. It's possible we're off on the fact of hiring an NHL coach. There are teams that just have NHL and AHL being completely different. The thing is, most of those teams are teams that the AHL is owned by someone else in the NHL franchise. And so the AHL team is primarily about winning games. And you see that actually with Tampa Bay and Syracuse, uh, the Syracuse crunch, while there have been great development, the systems that the Syracuse crunch run are very different than what the Tampa Bay lightning run. And that's because the Syracuse crunch are run by a different are owned by a different owner. And they are focused on winning games because that's what drives gate there. They're not focused on developing talent necessarily. Whereas for the San Diego goals, the main purpose of the goals is, well, yes, they do want to win games. They do want to draw people making money is important. The purpose of the, the, the goals being back and the, the Samuelis buying the Norfolk admirals at the time was to create a much easier path to the NHL. Um, for for prospects and players like that so they're just down the road as compared to being across the country and being much more focused on development and so um with that being the case i I think that it's going to be important to hire to really nail the nhl hiring and i think that worst case scenario three four five years down the line the ducks are kind of hitting their contending window and for whatever reason if matt mckelvane's ready you can make that switch like that that's a completely viable thing you give a NHL coach a three-year contract. If at the end of the three years you want to move on, you can. So with that being said, anything else on the Matt McElveen front?
1: I just want to um, hammer home. Yeah. Your point that you brought up that like, I completely agree that, I don't believe the McElvain hire is a stopgap hiring. There's been a lot of people who have assumed that. And to be honest, like I get it. Like there's some logic to thinking that it would be a stopgap hire based on where like the ducks are. Like I see the logic in that, but I don't believe that is the case. I believe I, I, I mentioned this before that coaching talent. Should, for organization should be viewed similar to prospect talent. So it's like with Connor Bedard in this upcoming draft, you don't pass up on Connor Bedard just because you already have a wealth of centers. You take who's available, you have an embarrassment of riches, you figure out the rest later. It's the same thing, I think, with coaching talent. If you find a guy who has potential NHL um, level And keep in mind, McIlvain hasn't proven that he's going to be successful, and yet he still needs to prove that yep. he's going to be able to successfully coach North American hockey. So if you stack up, if you identify a guy, you say, hey, this guy encompasses all of the attributes that we want in our organization for our coach, up and down the organization, NHL, AHL, everywhere, then you get him. Even if it's not gonna be in the NHL, you get him and you stack him. Because like you said, at the end of three years, you hire a new coach. I think for Beek's next coaching hire, he intends to be the long-term coach and hopefully lead the Ducks to at least one cup, if not multiple cups, or at least through their contending window. But if for some reason that doesn't work out, because remember, GMs only have a certain amount of coaching hires unless you're Bob Murray in the 2010s where you should have gone on way longer than you should have. But you only most gms nowadays only get a limited number of coaching hires why are you going to burn one of your coaching hires with the intent that they're going to leave in a couple of years right you want somebody to be able to guide them through their contending window but just in case it doesn't work you've got somebody waiting the wings that you like you know who has already won and who is going to be able to bring a consistent level of philosophy hopefully in a much better package in a more winning package if it does come to that
0: yep completely agreed um let's do so with that out of the way let's do a couple twitter questions and then we'll get to the discord just because got about eight minutes before we get to an ad read so we got a couple here so we'll kind of get through some of them then get to our ad read um so brad silverman asks how does macklebane's hiring impact anyone who might take the duck's job with the lame duck issue um so i got this on twitter a little bit and I'll, i'll pose it to you this way and kind of rephrase it Do you think that Matt McElvain being hiring and the fact that there has been the reporting of um, Verbeek being very high on him and the fact that, quite frankly, they went out of their way to hire him before the NHL coach, do you think that might cause anyone who's interested in the Ducks job some consternation about taking the Ducks job?
1: I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is I think any coach who gets hired into the NHL nowadays— knows how volatile the job is and how pretty much there is no job security when it comes or no long-term job security beyond two or three seasons. I would say um, for NHL coaches, unless you're Mike Sullivan who, you know, consistently delivers results. You're the coach for a long time and you've proven you've earned that chance. 99% of NHL coaches come into this job knowing that, look, I'm going to have to perform or I'm going to be out of here within two to three years. So, I don't think it really matters hiring Matt McElvain, this up and coming guy to do that. If anything, I would hope that would encourage candidates who truly do want to win, who truly are committed to taking this team to the next level and guiding them into their contending window and primarily winning a cup as their primary goal. If anything, that should motivate them more because they know if they don't have this, they've got somebody right on their ass behind them.
0: And Jeff the puck on, on Twitter also has a similar question. So I want to give him a shout out, but I agree. And, and I think the one thing I'll add to that though, is um, there are only 32 NHL coaching jobs. If you're an NHL head coach and you get to these final portions of it, especially you have a team with Trevor egress, Mason McTavish, one of Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, at least Fantilli and Carlson, potentially this year or next, whenever that's we that will be, Olin Zellweger coming through, like you'll have all these guys coming in and they're going to make you look good because you're going to be able to take a team that was uh, last in the NHL and really be able to help them take a a massive push forward. That's a very attractive job, regardless of what's behind you. Um, And and so before we actually get to more questions, I realized a major topic that Felix uh, made sure to throw on Twitter today that I put in discord that needs to be discussed. And it's a question I have. Is it time to retire Brohim? This might be sacrilegious. And I'm not saying I dislike the song because I still love the song. And I do think it's still a very good goal song. It's been, it's been almost 20 years. 05-06 was the first season of Brohim, I believe. And so while I do think it's a great goal song... I think that you could make the argument that maybe honoring an OC band as compared to Pennywise who are Kings fans, but let's be open there. It's been well reported that Pennywise are Kings fans. It would it be a better idea to find an orange County band, whether it's the offspring, whether it's no doubt, whether it's things like that as there might be a rebrand coming as you have a transition into a new era of the franchise where you have the Zegras, the McTavish, potentially the Bedard, and really kind of reinvent the team with a new goal song, new jerseys, new everything. Or do you think it's better to just keep bro- him and keep it going? Because what if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
1: I hear what you're saying. I think you make some logical points. My counterpoint is why I mess with perfection.
0: Fair. I'm I, sorry, I...
1: Brohem is such okay. an iconic goal song. Like imagine okay. Y- you get to the 50th anniversary of the Anaheim Ducks and they're they've been using Brohem for like 40 plus of you know 40, 35, 40 of those years. Come on. In in a sport that demands and reveres tradition, I, I'm sorry, bro. Him just it, it it rules. It's the perfect goal song, in my opinion.
0: Should we not be wanting to evolve though, with the how the music has evolved? Acoustic walrus saying, "O.C. Boys, Sugar Ray for the Duck Song." Oh my God, no! Nothing, Sugar ma- Ray. Ma- make Please. it happen. Make it happen. Make it Sugar Ray. Ah,
1: uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys are gonna make me hate this debate.
0: I can already feel it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't honestly have a strong opinion on it. It's more me drumming up stuff in the doldrums of the duck's time. Wait a minute. It's it's an interesting conversation.
1: Okay. Well, wait a minute. What if if we do an alternative? Um,
0: I'll I'll suggest an alternative here. Okay. What if
1: we go the Sharks route, create several, like have several songs, have people vote on them, but create a really, really bad uh, Shots (laughs) parody (laughs) version? So ducks, sh- the ducks, sharks have ducks, that shark, shark, sharks sharks, sharks, sharks do ducks, 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 just for the memes. That would be incredible.
0: Oh man. Yeah. I'm trying to think what other good songs would there be? I mean, they're the kid. I, I was listening to the offspring today, trying to figure out if there's a good one to to go in. I mean, part of honestly, what made me think about this is how much I absolutely love. Um, I love the Lee Skull song of you make my dreams come true by Hall and Oates. <laughs> Just because it's so different than what you expect from a hockey goal song. And it just pops. And it's just like so happy and cheery that I'm like, this is so not what I expect. And I love it to death. I have a completely unhinged suggestion in a
1: relatively similar vein. Okay. Careless Whisper. Just just imagine Trevor Zegers or Mason McTavish or Trevor Zegers bombing a one-timer the crowd goes wild and all of a sudden you hear,
0: I I have a better one. This, this was when I was just completely unhinged last week. And I was in our discord, just going over random ass goal songs that I would want to have happen in the vein of the, um, of you make my dreams come true and doing, I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. All
1: right, that is the first one that I could actually get on board with,
0: picture like on a pic- serious level. Picture is a goal. Uh, now we're just completely unhinged. Whitney
1: Houston is an icon and should be treated as
0: such, pic- and I'm, yeah. Picture if a goal is scored, that song pops, and then Zegris and Drysdale just dance together. Oh, I want to dance yeah, with somebody. Yeah, just picture it. Just picture it. People are I, gonna, can, I can totally picture it. This might get me the most hate, honestly, for anything I've said on this podcast, <laughs> but you know what? I'm here for it. I like coming up with fun, weird ideas. It's how I am. Um, All right. Speaking of fun things, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Playoffs? Are you talking about playoffs? That's right. The playoffs are here, and your friends at Manscaped are here too. And they're making sure your balls are as kissable as the Stanley Cup, whether you're an NBA or NHL guy You'll want to give your nuggets the best clippers to rid them of pubes and help them see the summer sun. Don't let your little devils go wild. Use the lawnmower 4.0 and get your boys as smooth as jazz. You can have the balls of kings by going to manscaped.com and using code CTP for 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped is the champion of men's grooming. You know why they call their staple product the Performance Package 4.0? Because it's the best way to get your body ready for elite playoff level performance. The full package is stacked with the best of the best. It starts with the Lawnmower 4.0. These Lawnmower 4.0s are the greatest pube warriors. They make your body hair removal as easy as, Ste- as a Steph Curry 3-pointer. The Lawnmower 4.0 doesn't only make you easy on the eyes, but it's easy on your skin with its skin-safe technology that reduces your playoff list nicks and cuts uh manscaped has been working hard and brewing up the new and approved weed whacker 2.0 with a better shape and motor there's no question the weed whacker 2.0 for nose and ear is the most improved player of the year they cap the performance package off with the crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball turner toner to keep you fresh even through the sweetest game sevens. or yes sweetest game sevens but that's not all manscaped has uh two free throw-ins uh, travel bag to hold all your goods and a pair of anti-chafe boxers perfect for watching or playing sports plus for all you playoff beard bros out there manscaped now has has now uh now has beard products with their beard hedger pro kit the kit has the bomb shampoo conditioner uh and oils you need to keep presentable and comfortable through the push and the trimmer you need when it's finally time for a cut so you can get twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscape.com. That's twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscape.com. Pick a winner, hit the playoff push, and use Manscaped to shave that bush.
1: Whoever came up with this—this this was my kiss the balls one. like the kissing the Stanley Cup line. What if you're listening? Whoever wrote that? If you are listening to this. You are not getting paid enough. Please no. demand a
0: massive raise. That intro had. Let me think. The Nuggets. I'm reading it now. It had the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Sun, the Devils, the Wild, the Jazz, the Kings. All just when that just perfectly put into that intro. Like that is just
1: breathtaking copywriting. Fans, I say this because I've been a copywriter. I am. A, I am a writer in my
0: day job. That was breathtaking. They, they deserve. A, they deserve a raise. Manscaped. Yes. Yeah, the Warriors were in there too. They were in at the later Incredible. portion after the intro. All right. So we'll get back to, to Twitter after this, but we're going to go to our Discord Discord for uh first. Uh if you want to go to uh support us, go to our Patreon, uh patreon.com slash crash Spawned, where if you sub at a dollar, um you get access to the Discord. It's probably the best dollar you can have on the internet. Uh I consider it an idiot tax to keep the trolls away. Um so Shaken Wings said, uh, Jake, do you ever blast bro him in your car just to remember the good old days? Sometimes I do. Even though I said all that stuff and talking about, like, trying to change it up just because, you know, sometimes change is good. Nostalgia is nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And, you know, sometimes you got to blast it and remember those days. Um, Winterboard said, with the draft approaching, if Anaheim was to hypothetically go for another first-round pick in this year's draft... What paths could we potentially take to get another first round pick? I'll throw that at you. Um,
1: Max Comtois high first round pick. He's definitely worth that, right?
0: (sighs) (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, what GM are you bribing? (laughs) Fair. If the
1: Oilers end up getting a limited, maybe Dave Holla gets desperate enough. I don't know. Um, No, I don't. Honestly, I think that if you wanted to get a first-round pick from anyone, you're going to have to put together a package deal. Like, the Ducks are going to have to put multiple pieces together. I don't think they have any one asset that's worth a first-round pick alone outside of anybody who, who you don't want to trade anyway.
0: I think you could do your own second plus maybe another third for a very late first-round pick. Th- yeah, you could probably do because that. The, the, second, um, round, the package, second round pick. The second round pick's thirty third.
1: Yeah, and if you package, I mean, if if you do decide that you want to package Henrique at the at the draft or something like that at fifty percent retained salary for the season, plus adding on those, yeah, you could probably get into the first round with that. But again, you you have to package multiple assets to get a first round pick for sure.
0: Yeah. So I, I think probably their second round pick maybe another second. I don't know if they would have to do that much though, if it's like a twenty-fifth or something like that, with the fact that the ducks second is thirty-three. Yeah, like, and and and
1: hardcore luchador brings up Gibson. Gibson alone, even if you retain fifty percent for the rest of his deal, is not gonna get you a first round pick. You still need to package ooh, stuff with I Gibson disagree. if you wanted I, to do I that. I disagree
0: there. Really? I because I don't I think it depends so. it, it depends on the team. It depends on how desperate the team is. I think it depends on how that GM is. All it takes is one GM. I think there are still GMs out there. We saw it in the Greg Wyshynski article that came out, ranking the different GMs from him or different goalies after talking with different GMs, basically. And it was based upon their rankings, basically, cumulative. And John Gibson's a top 10 goalie per them in this league. And you get a top 10 goalie if it's re- any sort of salary retention, that easily gets you a first-round pick. It, it just It depends on how the GM views him. That, I have a
1: hard time. I get it. I get it. I just have a hard time believing that given what we've seen goaltenders go for previously. That's
0: fair. But it, yeah, it yeah, it, for instance, if it's a team that just loses in the playoffs in the first round, like let's say if the Devils somehow fall to the Rangers, which sorry, Mike, not happening. Devils are winning that series. Um, I could see the Devils potentially reaching out to the Ducks and seeing what's going on there, seeing if that's something they could reach out and make happen. Um, So we'll see. Um, JJ stone drum says, do you think McElveen being hired and sent to San Diego indicate indicates that Verbeek is going to let the kids cook in the AHL next year and not have as many rookies up on the NHL team?
1: That is a very good question. I could see it going either way. Honestly, I think what I think is going to happen is I don't know if I'll, 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 say this. If I'm Pat Verbeek, if I was in Pat Verbeek's position, going into this year, Chances are your draft pick is going to make the NHL straight away. Connor Bedard will obviously make the NHL straight away. Fentilli, I think, is like a 90 plus percent chance he does it. Carlson, I think, likely goes, but he's, I think, a little bit more of a question mark um
0: I mean, there's potential but, for both Fantilli and Carlson to be in the AHL next year. Th-
1: th- I, I think there is potential for it. But if I'm Pat Verbeek, I'm kind of going in with almost no expectations. I'm going like, hey, I'm going to give all of them, all of these guys, a lot of leeway and a lot of runway. And if you earn a spot in training camp, you know, then you will get there. I don't necessarily think I personally, I think it would be kind of a bad strategy to come in and say like, yeah, Zellweger, Menshukov, um, uh, all of them are for sure going to start in the AHL this year. I think that they have put up such good numbers in junior. They have shown such good things that you have to yeah. give them the chance.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's key. I think that you have to have the competition going into to training mm-hmm. camp. I, 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 It may be a situation, though, where maybe – because Verbeek does come from the Eisman school thought of letting guys kind of cook in the AHL for longer than normal. And so maybe that is what ends up happening here. I just don't know because the modern-day NHL is changing on that. And I think that if they are really proving themselves and if they've earned that spot, they should be in the NHL. So I don't necessarily – it could be, I, I think, to answer the question, it could be an indication. I don't necessarily think it is. Um, I think the guys are still going to have a chance to make the team. Um, yeah,
1: and, and and to to kind of add on to that a yeah. little bit, I think that. I think it's a situation where, given that Verbeek is from the Iserman school of letting them cook in the AHL. You give them the long leash in training camp. You let them try and earn a spot. If they make the team, fantastic. If they don't, that's where I think the AHL cooking goes through. If you see Zellweger, you know, come in or Minchukov uh, come in, and they don't make the team, or maybe they have a nine game, 10, nine ten game stint or whatever, and then get sent back. Once they go back, I don't think you see them up again unless injuries are out of control and you have to bring them up i think that that's a case where if they get sent to the ahl more than likely they are going to cook there for the entire year if they make it out of camp though that's a different story
0: yeah um all right uh shocking 9-11 said is it may 8th yet oh boy it's coming and then Uh, felix said why does jake hate Brohim?" do i even answer felix
1: Jake, why do you just like hate so many things? You are I, such I a
0: negative presence in this community. I know. I've been told that I'm toxically positive. I've been told that I'm toxically negative. Ah, oh, Nick, Nick in our YouTube chat. I missed this, but said a uh, new goal song. Waffles are better than pancakes by Tim, the Tatman. Great call. Great call. <laughs> Great shout. Uh, Ducks on five said, which former duck would you want as a color analyst? This one. I mean, do you want to go first? I have a quick and easy answer. I feel like you and I would have the same answer for me it's Getsloff. No, mine's Kevin Bieksa.
1: Oh, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Um B- okay, I agree. I'd change my answer. Bieksa, number 1 cuz he's already been uh, we've yeah. already seen him on like SportsNet and yep. other, like yep. he is just as good in front yep. of the cameras we thought he would be. Yep. Um my second choice would be Getzloff. I thought Getzloff was awesome um yeah. in uh, Ducks Live uh at the yeah. tail end of this last season. Yep. I could see him doing some good stuff for broadcasting, although I don't think that's where he wants to be. No. He seems to want to be involved Manage in the man. front
0: office and actual management. Well and so. also be around his kids more. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in broadcast and that's my only thing with BX, I think BX would be absolutely fantastic to replace Brian Hayward on the broadcast and be the color commentator for the Ducks for a long, long time. BX bx still lives in the area uh i know there's some people say ryan kessler ryan kessler i think moved back to michigan but kevin bx still lives in orange county that i don't that, think kessler's that great on a mic though either. i don't listen to the podcast I don't, I don't think he's that good i don't either but yeah. i think kevin bx would be perfect for it i think the real mm-hmm. question is whether he would want to do that like he flies to canada for for saturdays would he want to go on road trips with the team and stuff like that that are required um for being on that but If he would, he would be one of the best color commentators and just add a lot of, I think, entertainment to the the Ducks franchise and Ducks broadcast. Um, And then the Puff said, who would you want uh, in the box? Okay, same question, but I'll give the Puff some shout-out here. Saying, who would you want in the box doing play-by-play and why would it be BX and Kessler as the color guys and who do you think could keep up with them? So, oh, doing play-by-play, sorry. Um, So... I actually don't. I think John Allers is a good play-by-play guy. Like, I I think in that from that element, he's fine. I I think that personally, my favorite play-by-play guy in the league right now is Alex Faust. Mm, that's a good choice. I I think him or John Forsland If I had to pick one, those are the. two Those that are my life. two:
1: John Forsland and Alex Faust, easily.
0: But I I think that John Allers. I think you pair him with Kevin and you have a good broadcast.
1: Yeah, I think I'm not a huge fan of John Allers, to be honest, though. But like. I would kind of just consider him as okay. Like to me the real issue with the broadcast is Brian Hayward. Um, and if you and and I think we see this in a lot of other sports and a lot of other broadcasting as well that the play-by-play a a, a lot of play-by-play guys effectiveness can often be influenced by the color person they have alongside them. Um, you have some guys like I think Forslund and Faust are good no matter G- Gord Miller deserves a
0: shout out also. Logan Montgomery I, shouts him out and Mike Johnson also as a uh, color commentator. Great, great uh, combo.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that as well. But for a lot of these guys, and I think Allers especially is prone to this, that a lot of his effectiveness is going to de- be dependent on having a good color guy. So I would be totally fine if John Allers stayed on and you replaced him with Kevin BX. I think Allers would probably get a lot better in that situation.
0: All right. Uh, Furdek said, "Is there a chance the Ducks move Terry this off season? For example, if the Ducks don't get Bedard, does Verbeek decide this will be a longer rebuild, and Terry doesn't fit that timeline, so he moves Terry while he's not at his, or while he's at his most valuable?" So this is actually the a point that I made earlier on in the season was kind of a, a argument for trading uh, or for firing um, Dallas Akins early was that then you at least knew what this team was with the new head coach. Um and, um, and could see where they're at and see where the actual timeline is. And so that if it is indeed a longer term thing than you were expecting, you could assess where Terry fits in that. And if it makes sense to move him thing is they didn't do that. And I think that there is still a lot of question marks of the, uh, of where this team is going. And I think whether they get Bedard, whether they get Fantilli, whether they get, uh, Carlson, it doesn't change that. And I think the real question is how does next season go? Because I think next season affects that. But um, I I think overall, from what Verbeek has said, I think he's views Terry as a core piece and doesn't view him in that way. As much as I think that depending on where things go, maybe they should look into it, even though, as everyone knows, Terry is my favorite player on the team. Um, But I think it just depends on where the value's at and how things go.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point. I think that the whether or not the the, like Bedard is clearly the best prospect. Like he is a generational prospect, but I don't believe that getting Bedard versus Carlson specifically, like the two opposite ends here, um, affects the rebuild timeline in any way. And and if it did affect the timeline in any way, then I would be worried about Pat Verbeek's long-term vision and his yes. ability to maintain consistency. Um, it's, it's, it shouldn't affect because an NHL team and the long-term health of an NHL team is way more than one player. We know this, we've seen this with multiple other teams. We see this with Edmonton, right? Like Connor McDavid is a perfect example of that, that you just getting a generational talent doesn't mean that all of a sudden now you're good and you can just coast your way through. So it's, it's, it's one of these things where it doesn't really matter who they end up drafting, the timeline and strategy should should still be the same, no matter what.
0: Yep um all right and then the next question came from mighty for nothing considering the ducks only have a 25 percent chance of getting bedard how did the oilers win the first overall pick four times
1: <laughs>
0: that's called probability sometimes you just have a streak of several years
1: where the unlikely thing happens like look at the toronto maple Leafs' first round exit uh streak i think yeah. at the end of last year um Dom and a couple of other analysts like calculated the probability that they would be eliminated. What was it like four straight first rounds or something like that? And the probability was something like 0.0003 point something repeating percent. Like it was stupid low. That doesn't mean that it's impossible, that it's not happening. It's just probabilities and stats do weird freaky things all of the time. Over a large enough sample, it'll even out, but when you're talking about, you know, a first round pick, you know, over basically about 3 or 4 years and getting as many times as they did, that's just probabilities. That's the unfortunate and truth of statistics sometimes.
0: I was curious, here are the odds of winning in for the 2015 lottery. It was actually worse than it is now in terms of last place getting first overall. The Sabres only had a 20% chance. And the Ducks, for anyone out there wondering, why we keep saying 25% because I've seen a couple different people with the NHL reporting that the Ducks and the Ducks even uh, stating 18% chance to win the lottery. Where that comes from is the Ducks have an 18% chance to win the lottery. That is correct. But teams can only move up 10 spots. And so the sum of all the percentage of teams that if they won that lottery and would only move up to second or lower adds... Uh, the Ducks would stay in first if that were to happen, basically. And so the sum of all those percentages plus the 18% of the Ducks have to win the lottery puts it at 25%. So it's a 25% chance of the Ducks getting first overall, not a 25% chance of winning the lottery.
1: Yeah, before, before the uh, change to limit moving up to 10 spots and when they had three lottery spots previously, the chance to get first overall was that 18%. It wasn't the 25%. The 25% only came about with these lottery changes because there are, what is it, five teams that cannot win the first overall pick even if they win a lottery draw. The max they can move up is only 10 spots. So even though the chance of the Ducks winning a lottery spot is 18.5%. I think it's a specific one. They have a 25.5% chance because those five teams far enough back in the lottery cannot move up to get the first overall pick.
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. So let's get into the next question. comes from Kempafu. Question, of only this hasn't been talked about, have there been any rumors slash strategic leaks about who Pat Vermeet could be targeting to coach the Ducks? The only name I've really seen linked is the um, Colorado Eagles head coach. I can't remember his name, but that was kind of like in a weird passing um, way where it was it was Jeff Merrick more or less saying someone said, like, maybe that's a name they look at. And Freeman said, yeah, I've had someone tell me maybe that's someone who gets a look or gets an interview there because he Made it through the. I think uh, Greg Greg
1: Greg Cronin, right? Yeah, Greg Cronin. Who it was? Yeah.
0: And so I don't really know if that's actually a leak or if there's actually substance to that because it's a lot of, it's none of. I'm hearing he's interviewed. It's a someone told me that the ducks may look at him or someone told me to keep an eye on him. And so it's not really that well put together. So I haven't actually seen anyone. I mean. There, there's going to be the common names out there. There's people throw Andrew Burnett out there and people throw Bruce Boudreau out there. there there's just going to be the, the common names that are going to be thrown out. Um, but, I mean, from what Pavarbeek said, he's casting a wide net. And so it could be a while um, before we start getting some of those names for who's being interviewed. Would be yeah, nice I, if they announced it, though. But yeah, not going happen.
1: Yeah, I... I, I... I think that the reason we haven't really heard really much in the way of names is because Pat Verbeek hasn't zeroed in on anybody yet. I think he's got a pretty I I believe him when he says he's got a, he's he's got a wide candidate list. Um you know the reason we knew about Matt McElvain uh um is because they had Rubik had zeroed in on him months ago. That, mm-hmm. like you said, the Austrian papers were reporting it. Um, we've been hearing about it for a few weeks now from Elliot Friedman. Like he started zeroing in, and that's when we, you know, heard about it. If we're not hearing about any specific name, it means because Verbeek hasn't targeted anybody yet. I'm sure he has a list of things that he wants out of a head coach. And I'm sure, like, I would not be surprised if he wants to interview, um, like, Nate Lehman at Providence, who's kind of an up and comer, Rand Peckled, who just uh, um, won the uh, Frozen Four um uh so i i I think you may see some of those guys in the mix um but there's nobody specific yet and i don't think we will start hearing specific names until verbeek starts narrowing down that list
0: yep all right let's go a little rapid fire right now as we are at the 15 minute mark uh our good friend jake roblo said lap ccp podcast classic game win um we should definitely figure that out at some point when you and felix are in town
1: I am down. Like, no, let me know. I can get down to Southern California very easily. Let me know when you want to do it. I will fly down. So I will make a point of
0: it. It's all on Felix then. Uh, yep. App AG said, Do we remember when Felix cheated on trivia? Yep. We will never let him live that down. Uh, that wasn't part of what you get with the Discord. We did a Zoom last year, I think, for the draft or the draft lottery um, and did that. Uh, Lactic said, We talk about how coaches build culture but players also have their parts to play. Do we think the right veterans or key players to build the culture that GM Pat Verbeek talks about instilling? Or do we? Do you think we have the right veterans or key players to build the culture that Pat Verbeek talks about instilling? If yes, who are they? If not, who should we look to bring in during free agency? Yeah, that, that, is,
1: a, that is a good question. I think that... Right out of the gate, Troy Terry is an obvious... like Troy Terry, i I consider a veteran at yeah. this point. Yeah. He, I mean, he, wo- he wore an A last season. Exactly. He's a perfect example. Um, Henrik, Adam Henrik is another good example of that. And maybe one of the reasons why you want to hang on to him at least um, through next year. Because if they do contend, then maybe he can be part of a contending window. If not, then you can deal him and he at least plants some of the seeds. Um. I think that may be one of the reasons why Shattenkirk wasn't dealt. Um, I think Verbeek may want to give him another year or two yep. deal. Um, Shattenkirk, by all reports, is a tremendous locker room leader. He is incredibly popular from what we've all heard. Um, he would be a good guy for that. Um, and I would honestly think that... You know, they wouldn't necessarily rely on them, but we've already seen reports of how, like, Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale have really been like, they were taking after Ryan Getzloff so much last season and in their rookie years, they're learning a lot. And now they're going into their third seasons, basically of some pretty crummy ducks teams. They've experienced some adversity. They've also experienced championships highs with like world juniors and their national teams. Um, So, I think that, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable to maybe to a lesser extent go to Zegris and Drysdale as part of a younger guy, more relatable example setting presence. So those are just some of the guys off of the top of my head that I think of.
0: Yep, I, I agree with that. I mean, you also can throw in, I mean, Adam Henrique, Cam Fowler. Yeah, like, Cam, huge I one. mean, Hen- Henrique only has one more year on his deal, so maybe he he he's not in there. Ryan Strom, though, like. It, it's not as if this team, even if they go super young, it's John Gibson if there, too. If yeah, you hang it, on to
1: John Gibson, perfect.
0: Yeah. It's not as if there aren't going to be veterans on this team. And so you have guys like, like uh, Fowler who's been there through a lot of it and can really be that type of veteran and help build that culture. Um, I, I think that Kevin Shattenkirk, like you said, I think maybe you try to get maybe one more guy that that's a positive impact player. Maybe you look at like the guys like a neat, like they tried to do in the off season, you know, need a and uh, Evan Rodriguez. Those are the types of guys where they're good bottom of the lineup type players that uh, also can bring that type of uh, balance to, to the locker room. But I think that the culture is there and, and that's also what McTavish is known for. Um, so I, I don't, as, I don't think that's something that's necessarily lacking but I think it's also we need to see what happens with the new coach, because part of me really does think that a large part of where this team went was uh, was on Dallas Aikens. And maybe it's not, but we'll kind of find that out next season.
1: I think um, what, what what I will, what I will say to that, too, we we ended up finding out, especially at the end, that Aikens never lost the locker room. Yeah. Like I, I think that the the Ducks locker room culture this season, even with all the losing was still a good culture like and that's certainly possible you don't have to have you don't have to have a terrible crappy culture and be a rebuilding team now if you're expected to contend and you're like that bad that's a completely different thing if you're in the middle of a rebuild and you're losing a bunch i think it's still perfectly acceptable and realistic to keep that culture and by all reports that's what happened so i think Aikens left the the locker room in actually a decent place
0: yep all right Kenan dell uh, Kenan deal said concerning the new hire for the ahl it feels like the ducks are looking to craft him into the next coach after this with that in mind what kind of coach could they be looking at to instill at the nhl level is this essentially a three to five year stint at max the only type of coach i would think would be okay knowing their time is limited is one that's about to retire one that could be persuaded to come back from retirement for a couple years who fits that sort of mold one that can be lured by one more can i mean so working in that I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think working that I think Bruce Boudreau is someone that fits that mold, whether Verbeek wants to go that way. Um, Maybe um, Peter Laviolette's another person that, that fits that mold. The thing is I don't necessarily agree with that because there are so many jobs and the lifespan of an NHL coach is honestly short. I think Dallas Aikens was one of the longest tenured NHL coaches. And so that just kind of shows you that coaches don't really get that much of a lifespan. So if this is a three to five year stint max, that's normal. And so it's not as if that that's uh something abnormal that someone may not be understanding about. That I think that that's what you expect.
1: Yeah, I think um, what happened with Randy Carlisle was the exception, not the rule.
0: Yeah. App AG said, You are at the hot tub. What one drink and one snack are you enjoying with your soak?
1: Ooh. I literally did this um the other night. I was house sitting down in Southern California for my parents. They have like, this brand new, incredibly nice yard with a pool and a spa and everything i fired up the spa i got in um and i had i had a pacifico in my hand and i know in the crash pond discord there has been some ragging of pacifico no ragging of pacifico on my there has been i thought pet people have been saying pacifico is top tier Pacifico is top tier, but like there were know, some people who were ragging about it. None of none of that on my Christian internet. Okay. So that's that's number one. Number two, I'm gonna have a Pacifico in my hand, and what I also did is I went to nothing bunt cakes and I got a red velvet mini buntlet. Ooh. So a little mini bunt cake, ah. red velvet with chocolate chips in it. That was one of the best nights I've had in a long time.
0: So I don't disagree with that take. In terms of that being a delicious thing, but that in the hot tub, it could fall in the hot tub. Like, uh, who cares?
1: You're stewing in your own filth anyway.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, but then it's got to be f- okay. So I would go with a Buena Vesa. I, I think a cerveza is the way to go for a hot tub. I think a nice, Agreed. cool, refreshing cerveza is the way to go. Um, as for the snack, you know, I'm not a big food in the hot tub person. I'm more about just drinking the beer and going for it. So we're, we're just gonna it. go with that. The the beer is both a drink and a snack. It's a it's it's a little treat just yeah. for you. Isaac said, which teams would have benefited from trading for Gibson before the deadline in terms of playoff teams? I mean, I think an easy one is the New Jersey Devils. Uh
1: yeah, I think it's it's tough to say if it Although, really would have made a difference, but Pittsburgh may have made the playoffs with better goaltending. Yeah. They probably, uh, on, No, I'm not even saying they I think they would have made the playoffs with better goaltending. They had some awful goaltending.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just looking at some GSAX. Uh, Vitek Vanacek has been horrible throughout the yeah. playoffs so far. but And so Akira Schmidt, since coming in, has been good in the two games that he's played. Whether that continues, who knows? So I think they could have benefited from that. Carolina is another team that maybe fits that mold. Uh, Anti-Rant has just been okay. But they still have Freddie Anderson on the on their bench so i mean i would say the only team i would look at is the devils but they've been getting good goaltending from schmidt but it's just a bit of an unknown there yeah um all right uh let's see malarkey said more likely scenario during the 23-24 season ducks trade their 24 uh first round pick or acquire another 24 first round pick so what's more likely to happen uh
1: good question I think it's more likely they acquire a 24 first round pick Um, as I would. That is a really good question, by the way. I I think there, you can go either way. I would love, I think that the ducks can be a playoff team next year with the right coaching systems with good health and with a couple of smart free agent signings. Like, there's still work that needs to be done to make them a playoff team, but I still think it's realistic. It is realistic that they could have a shot of making it. But look at the larger, the, the, the bigger picture here. The Ducks are still in a rebuild. They are still going to be in a rebuild next season. I believe that, hopefully, anyway, this is the very bottom of the rebuild. This season was the very bottom and that it's only going up from here. So remember, with the Kings even, they... I would not consider them one of the top Stanley cup contenders, but they are getting better. They are making the playoffs. It's not a situation where you tank, you're at the bottom, you rebuild and then immediately the next year in the year in the playoffs are good. Most of the time it is still a several year process for that true championship window to open up. So with that being said, I still expect the rebuild in some level, even if it's on the upswing to be continuing next year, which is why I say it's a little more likely that they probably end up acquiring a pick.
0: What my wired pick? Oh, God. Do I want to know? <laughs> Neither happened because the Ducks trade, the, trade away their first round pick with uh, top 10 protection for Jesper Brath this summer. Interesting. And so, well, yes, you should. Uh, Logan Montgomery in our YouTube chat says, Trade away picks is how teams run out of, ga- uh, run out of gas uh, and depth and uh, long term, probably not the best play. But if you're doing it for someone that is 24, 25, and we're talking about a 24 first round pick where if it's top 10 protected, you're still going to have it if it's a top 10 pick. And so most likely it's going to be in the teens or twenties is probably what we'll end up. If you can get a Jesper brat, that's someone that can help you fits your timeline, fits your aging window. And you even look at the Kings, right? The Kings, uh, granted went and unsigned, not traded for, um, um, Philip to but they traded for Victor Arvidsson, Right. The, and made the playoffs last year, and they went on and Did made that trade. Did they sign or trade for Fiala? They traded a fir, uh, what was it? a first-round pick and okay. um, Brock Faber for him. Yeah, yeah, okay, and So that's the, right. the equivalent we've come up with is probably Jackson Lacombe and a first-round pick would be a similar type of trade if the uh, Jesper Bat trade was similar to a Kevin Fiala type trade. And so you have so much depth on the blue line that you can make that work. Um, so I – I think more likely than not, they acquire a first round pick. I think that's the most likely scenario, even though my pie in the sky view of, and dream of things. Um, but uh, yeah, so Wired, they don't do either because they've already traded it with top 10 protection. Uh, Co-Champion Bastard said, what potential rule changes do you think would most benefit the AEW? I That's all you, Jake. I, I cannot weigh in on that at all. Uh, what potential rule changes? I, I'm, i you know, just for, just to screw with Lou, who I know is in our Twitch chat, I'm going to say every match has to be a gimmick match. There it is. Dajan said, over under two and a half rookie defensemen who, who play at least 40 games with the Ducks next season. Uh, Over. Helleson. Yeah, I'll go... Hel- I- I'm going to go with over
1: as well, just because of how many high-end potential rookies they've got in the blue line system
0: right now. Yep. Uh, Lewis X two said, wow, what an intense first round it's been so far. The Oilers are on their way and making light work out of the Kings. Seattle is shocking the world and the Leafs might actually make it out of the first round. Anyways, which cuisine could you eat forever? Oh, uh,
1: which cuisine could I eat forever? Probably. That is a good question. I am I'm split between Mexican and Japanese.
0: I'm split between Mexican and Italian.
1: Hmm. I I would lean so I would lean Mexican just because growing up in Southern California, like I didn't really get into like sushi and Japanese food until a little bit later in life. But I grew up around really good Mexican food, so I I would lean toward Mexican.
0: Yeah, I lean towards Mexican, but. I'll probably go Italian. Honestly, there's just so much good Italian food. Um, sure. Anna ducks 14 said, uh, and this actually goes, Michael B in our YouTube chat. Uh, I'll, we'll do lump it in, but, uh, said with Dan Wood announcing the team wants to go in a different direction. Do you think John and Brian will be gone next year too? I don't, I, I think they're staying a long term. but do you have any disagreement there on that front? <sighs> I let's put it this way
1: I don't think um them going a different direction with Dan Wood really has any bearing on Allers and Hayward those yep. if there are any changes those decisions would be made independently um I you know I know some people have talked about potentially like Alexis Downey um as a replacement uh given that she got a little bit of a test run as a color analyst near the end of the season and and her um kind of vital importance to Duckstream as a platform mm-hmm. Um, I could definitely see that. Um, and but yeah, I I think with Hayward and Ollers that, that if there's any changes on that, that's going to happen in a separate decision.
0: Yeah, and Michael B said brief thoughts on the Dan Wood thing. Um, so for those that don't know, Dan Wood announced today that the Ducks wanted to go in a different direction. Um, my brief thoughts on it are: it always sucks to see someone lose their job. Um, no matter what the situation, no matter how you viewed them or, or what they did, and he always seemed like a good guy, everything like that. I guess my opinion on him is that I, I think that you could do better as a color analyst. Um, I think that Dan Wood was a very good beat writer. I think that he brought that viewpoint. And if that's what you wanted from a color commentator, then that's fine. And you probably would have enjoyed him. I think from my personal taste, not the thing I I'm strictly speaking of this from my own personal taste and my perspective on, on what I like when I'm listening to a radio broadcast I you aren't able to see it and so you're relying upon the play-by-play guy to give you insight on exactly what's happening and the color commentators there to add the additional insight and additional information and whether that's a former player whether that's someone that's really good at breaking down plays that that's really what you want to have in those situations and I thought Dan would a lot of times would just kind of um, reiterate what Steve Carroll would say and didn't necessarily bring additional information. And so I'm very interested to see what this new direction is. Um, I think that if they actually do take a new direction, like I want and bring someone in like that, I think it could be a very fresh voice and really reinvigorate the, the ducks radio stream. um, At least from my viewpoint on it. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily think Alexis Downey would fit that role because I think she's a really good host. I think that that's what she's best at hosting really kind of being in an interview situation, asking those questions. I think when you're throwing her into being a color commentator, I think you're putting her in the deep end in a situation. Maybe, and maybe I could be wrong here, but maybe it's a similar situation as Dan Wood, where it's not someone necessarily best suited for that, and there's other roles that are better.
1: Yeah, I, and Jake, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years. You and I have almost the exact same opinions on this situation. Like every every single thing Jake said, I 100% agree with. I'm looking for. For me, my favorite broadcasts are when I learn something new. Mm-hmm. Right? When somebody can break something down, I get insightful analysis that is beyond reporting just what happened on the ice. So I want to know maybe the reasons why, some of the X's and O's behind it. Um I I, I want to learn more about the smart. I want to come away from a broadcast knowing more about the game than when I first came into the broadcast and i just i didn't really feel that way about dan wood now it is going to be really weird and different with somebody else because dan wood's been a fixture on years. that radio yeah fourteen it's wild years. that it's
0: been that long because i feel like it was just yesterday yeah. that brent, brent severum was there and then yeah. he left i think for dallas and that's when dan wood got the bump up from being a beat writer to being a radio guy
1: exactly and so it'll definitely be weird like he's the only uh, radio commentator guy that I've ever known. I started following the Ducks in 2010, and but um, so he seems like a great dude. And again, if you are the type of person who likes a little bit more of the fact-based "here's what happened" approach, um, I think you know he he was very good for that. But I, I, again, like you said, we wanted something a little bit more tactical, yeah. strategic, analytical, and um, I, I I just hope that whoever the Ducks bring in. Uh, to fill that role brings that.
0: Yep, I I hope they don't leave or put Steve Carroll out on the out on a limb where he's doing everything though. I think they yeah, do agreed. need to bring someone in, and um, I like so, Steve Carroll. I think yeah. Steve
1: Carroll's a good play-by-play guy. Agreed.
0: Uh, Hey, flow said, does CJ hate wrestling as much as Felix?
1: I don't hate wrestling like I had a I had a moment when I was younger where I was really really into WWE WWE like I went to a Monday Night Raw at a Honda Center um, back in the day it was super fun um, but I can't say it's part of my passion now I'm just I would say I'm mostly indifferent
0: to wrestling now I you're don't a, hate you're it a la, you're a lot you're a lax fan
1: sure let's go with that
0: yeah or a Laps fan not lax fan oh like, Laps fan okay yeah, Lox yeah, fan yeah, yeah. yes that's yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, that's I realize I accurate. said it wrong <laughs> um b doddle said would you prefer to keep all three young centers at center and develop a top nine approach which means that uh, this is i think assuming they get bedard or Fantilli. um i guess carlson's in the center also um so any of those keep them at center and develop a top nine approach to means the ducks needs to find wingers to support the top three lines or load up the top six to play a couple of them together like zegers bedard fantilly carlson
1: i'm uh i'm a lot more of a fan of the top nine approach but uh, you mentioned keep them with that because that creates, and and we this is something that the Chicago Blackhawks in their prime when they were winning Stanley Cups were incredibly good at, is because one of the reasons they were so good is because they created matchup problems for days for almost every single team who faced them. We saw that in the Western Conference Finals that basically you had, um, you essentially had Taze and Kane playing on different lines. Um, I occasionally, I think you had Panarin playing on a different line. You had good third line centers in, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking now Vermette, um, uh, playing for those Chicago teams. So you basically created a strong top nine with talent spread all throughout the lineup and you created matchup nightmares for teams. Yeah, you can go and load everything up top heavy, top six, and just kind of, brunt force your way through the top but as we saw as well with the ducks over several seasons the ducks have had some decent talent up on the top but as soon as you threw the third or fourth lines out of there they were getting absolutely feasted on and i would much rather have a stronger matchup uh issue based uh strong top nine spread with talent spread throughout the lineup than going super top heavy
0: yep all right uh so we're gonna go back to twitter now Um, we're going to say, uh, hockey South said, love the pod. Are the goals more important next year than the ducks with all the incoming college and CHL players making a deep playoff run that spurs the development of a couple more of the B prospects seems to me a formula for long-term success and cap management. Uh, I think
1: that's really, really going to depend on how many of these guys end up playing in the AHL. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, there is a chance we could have multiple rookies, on the NHL team there is a very realistic shot of that but if you do end up maybe only having let's say Zellweger makes the jump let's say maybe a, a forward or something like that maybe it makes the jump maybe maybe past Java or maybe Perot puts it together and has a good camp or so I know he didn't really have great season recently but maybe one of them makes the jump Um, and you have the rest of the guys down in the AHL, then at that point, yeah, you're going to want to focus a lot on them. You're going to want them to win. You're going to want them to be in lockstep. And as we mentioned, you're going to want to let them cook. If you have multiple guys, though, who end up making the NHL roster, you're still going to want to focus on that because I think you're still going to have a lot of good talent coming into the AHL this year. Um, But you're going to have to balance your priorities, I think, a little bit more evenly if that ends up being the case.
0: Yeah, uh, the one thing I want to add to that is I think while it will be important on the goals, and I think that that is something that can be important for for driving their success or driving the Ducks' success in the future, the top-end players for this Ducks team that are going to be driving this team's success in the future I think will be on the Ducks next season. And so while the goals are going to be important for driving that depth, the star talent will be on the Ducks already. And so I think that the Ducks are still going to be more important from that perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think it's worth revisiting the point that you made earlier in the podcast that specifically with the Ducks owning the San Diego goals and having that direct line from AHL affiliate to NHL it's important to remember that the number one primary goal of the San Diego goals is not to win games. Yeah. It's a big goal. You want to win the games, but the number one primary overarching goal of the San Diego goals is to support the future of the Anaheim ducks, the yep. big club.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, Jacob, the dozer on Twitter asked, do you think adding players like bunting and or Bertuzzi would be beneficial for the ducks? feels like there's an opportunity to upgrade that forward group and create a formidable top nine for the new coach and upcoming decor. Um, um, I don't know if I would necessarily go out and get those types of guys. I think that the age is is the big thing for me there. Um, I think Michael Bunting is 27 years old, I believe. Let me look at his birthday. I
1: thought he was like 65.
0: Yeah, no, he's going to be 28 (laughs) at the start of next year. I know. And then um, uh, why do I keep wanting to think Todd Bertuzzi? What is his first name? I'm spacing so hard right now. Are you – can you oh, my, Tyler Tyler there we go Tyler Bertuzzi I kept like in my head thinking Todd ta- so yeah Tyler Bertuzzi is <laughs> 28 also and so I don't and he's going to be 29 in February so um I don't necessarily think of know if I agree with either of those guys coming in I think sure they could be decent upgrades to the top nine but it would be more so kind of like what they did with Ryan Strome um and, and so I don't well I don't want to give them five-year contracts no but one that's or two it, year maybe but... but that's but that's what it's going to take Eaten.
1: Right? yeah and i yeah it's just I, yeah i think if, based on market factors yeah that's probably what it's gonna take which means i'm out
0: yeah and and so yeah i'm out on either of those guys i think trading for someone is going to be where where the ducks Agreed. can really find their value Um, And he also added another one. How much better does having a good defensive system help this team? Might that be the best thing for both development and competitiveness? Having a Gibson docile tandem and more possession seems to bode well for a sizable increase in points slash wins.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we saw there was basically no defensive system, essentially, at least on five on five. um, Anyway, or there was barely one um, this last season. So I'm I'm actually really interested to see what happens with the assistant coaches. I'm surprised that there wasn't any news on them. I'm wondering if Verbeek maybe wants to make the NHL hire first and then let them make a decision. he, He said that. Oh, did he? Sorry, yeah, I missed that. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, okay. he said that. So, so, so that makes sense, because I'm actually very surprised Mike Stuthers is still employed with the team. But we'll we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: I think he'll be employed no matter what, because they're going to want to support him while he has cancer.
1: That That's fair. Just as as the assistant coach from a defensive aspect, you know, maybe we see him move from there. But yeah, the, the cancer thing is, is a good point. Um, it, I think it's incredibly important. And that is one of the reasons why Matt McElvain was hired was because... He and again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but he doesn't. Um, I don't. I'm not super familiar with his systems yet. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna hopefully get a lot more familiar with it. But based on everything that we've read, he is well respected as a tactician. His systems have produced a lot of really good results, championships, buy-in from players. Um, what we need to see is much better defined. Player roles specifically in the defensive zone. The fact that the Ducks late in the season. We're giving up some of the greatest grade-A scoring chances I have ever seen an NHL team give up consistently. Like, if it was happening early to mid the season, that's one thing. It's still happening later on was unbelievable that they never ended up fixing that. And so that, I think, is going to be a huge priority for Furbeek and the new head coach coming in is implementing a defensive system with defined roles and an outline of the different game states. Because with hockey it's fluid right you're not just going to say okay when this happens you're going to do this and that's it you need to have multiple situations and multiple game states and multiple plans for different situations that end up arising and that is something that the ducks it's going to be critical for them in order to not be the worst defensive team in the salary cap era
0: yeah uh one thing i'll add on that is paverbeek actually mentioned this it's hard to develop when you're defending constantly when you're stuck in your own defensive zone And so he's like from the development because I think he was asked about that with Verbeek, and more or less said, yeah, with development, it's tough when you're defending and stuck in your own zone the entirety of the game. And so, yes, I I think to that point with the systems. Yeah, that that's a big part of it. Um, And then Brian Esland will make this one quick because we've already covered, but want to give him a shout out. Which broadcaster would you like to see the Ducks hire for both radio and TV radio? I actually don't have a good idea for who to hire TV. Kevin Biexa. Yeah, agreed uh trevor zebras uh said uh do you think it's possible with all the ducks uh with all the second and third round picks the ducks have we may trade up for a mid first round pick and possibly pick up a winger because that's what our pipeline sorely lacks potentially someone like gabe perot brother to jacob perot um not a bad idea i i think that we talked about that that trading up is an option with an amount of second seconds and thirds the ducks have right
1: yeah yeah i i would not be so su- let's put it this way i would not be surprised to see verbeek attempt to do that At the draft whether or not it actually happens and he's successful is a completely different thing but it this is this is also why um we have been huge on advocating for stockpiling picks stockpiling assets people are like oh we've already got three second round picks it doesn't we don't need anymore this is a perfect situation where you can use a plethora of these assets to you know, it, it really move up and make yourself a lot better by acquiring these different assets. If you can package a couple of second round picks, maybe a B level prospect or something like that, throw that move into the mid to mid late first round. That is something you can absolutely do. And that several teams I think would seriously consider.
0: Yep. Uh, and then he said, I know we've speculated uh, it, but do we think a Jesper bat brat trade or Alex Brinkett trade is realistic? I th- Think the answer to that is do the ducks get Connor Bedard? If they do, I think it makes it more realistic because that pushes ahead the timeline.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and and we just kind of mentioned it shouldn't change the timeline a whole lot, but I will say that if Bedard is so good that if the ducks do end up getting him, the outcome goal, the timeline is still roughly the same, but it does, I think, allow you to make a little bit bigger swing moves like Dabrinkat. I don't necessarily consider yeah. Brat to be, I I consider Dabrinkat to be a bigger
0: move than Brat. Brat is good. I would love a Brat trade. I think that would be a great trade. I think De- Jesper Bratt's a better trade than Alex Dabrinkat, to be honest. Do you really? Yeah, Jesper Bratt's really good.
1: Uh, Jesper Bratt is really good, but I'm just thinking like what the Ducks need is goal scoring and Dabrinkat is one of the best goal scorers in the NHL.
0: I mean, Connor Bedard has a pretty lethal shot. They need play driving. Also, it just Jesper Brat's a really good play driver and someone that really helps you move the puck up the ice. Um, that's Sharon true. Govich is someone beat autos brings up uh, as, as a possible target. I mean, there's going to be a cap crunch and I, I haven't done enough of a dive on Sharon Govich to really see uh, whether I think they should target him. But I, I think basically the moral of the story is I think if you get Connor Bedard, I don't think you change your timeline from the perspective. You, you go and you get 30-year-olds and win down mode. But I think you can be more aggressive with your trades for players and giving up stuff that you have to really start building this team for being competitive now and towards the future. Agreed. Definitely. Um. All right, so that is it for Twitter. We're going to go to uh, Twitch and YouTube. So for those of you listening to this, you can go to twitch.tv slash spawn where if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free, free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You can just be like Fat Geralt, who subbed to us for 24 months. Thank you so much. Or if you're on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash spawn. Please, uh, if you are on there, like and subscribe to the channel. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. It helps out more than you can imagine. Uh, Brett Fuller asked us on YouTube, said, "Any chance the Ducks do not take Connor Bedard with number one, the number one overall pick due to stature?" And that's for you, CJ.
1: No chance. Absolutely yeah. no chance. If I, I will say this: if Pat Verbeek, Pat, if if the Ducks get the number one overall pick and Pat Verbeek does not choose Connor Bedard, that to me is an instantly fireable offense.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, While we wait for more questions, I'm just going to throw this at you because this was a hot topic for me and Felix last week. Uh, Waffles or pancakes? Which one's better? Waffles. Boom. Suck
1: it, It, Felix. And I I do like a good pancake, but man, nothing beats a well-made, like, thick waffle.
0: They're so much better. It just... Yeah. the, 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 uh, The syrup just soaks into those pockets... The butter fits well. Oh, it's there's so more good.
1: texture than there's. So good. There's just yeah. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Waffles uh, easily. Twinkie boy said, "Will the Ducks sign a top four D-man on a long-term deal? Mayfield, etc. And will the Ducks t- uh, sign a legit top six forward? I top Maybe. four D. Top four D-man. No.
1: No. No. Not on the top four. It's a lot more likely that they'd sign a top six forward. But even then." I- This free agent class is not that great. Um, I think it's more
0: likely they trade for someone.
1: Yeah, the trade market's going to be a lot hotter than the free agent market. Free agent market, I think, is going to be more of a, if Verbeek misses out on potential trade targets, free agency is more of a a kind of, I wouldn't call it a last resort, but a second, like a plan B.
0: I mean, everyone knows my tinfoil hat. Not conspiracy, but uh, save the cap space. Sign Austin Matthews in the summer of twenty four. Jake, you're, you're getting me excited. -hmm. Uh, B-Doll said, question, Minchukov or Zellweger? Who has the better career?
1: I think it's Zellweger. It's tough. I I, I could be convinced either one. I think it's Zellweger though. That's my
0: knee jerk. I think from a production standpoint, it's going to be Zellweger from an overall impact on both ends of the ice. It's going to be Minchukov. I, I can buy that so um, all right thatcher alt said uh, question do we have any current forwards in our uh in our system that will make the team next year not including the top three pick I mean
1: my gut says no my gut um, says
0: no you'd hope that pass, that not pass it up that one of Tracy or Perot could be but I haven't been entirely happy with what I've seen from them over the
1: last year or two. Tracy, I think this last season had a bit of a better season than he had prior, but I don't think either, unless they you know, just completely prove me wrong in training camp, I haven't seen anything from that that indicate that they're NHL ready yet.
0: Do we count one Pavel Regenda in this? Because I think that he could make the team.
1: I think he could too. If you count Pavel Regenda, yeah, I think I think there's a decent chance he makes the team. Um I'm I'm just thinking cuz Regenda wasn't one of the higher end prospects that they had like he was a, what he was an undrafted free agent signing, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, as far as like drafted prospects go, no Regenda probably.
0: Yeah. Uh f- and then Beat All said question, if you sign Matthews, do you finally are you finally okay with Zgris to wing uh or would you go Four deep up the middle. Yes, you can move Zegras on the wing yes, to play agreed. with Austin Matthews.
1: I, I still, I would prefer. Like, I still think Zegras's best position is at center. But if you're dealing with that level of center depth, oh, Zegras, you're getting kicked to the wing every damn day.
0: God damn! <laughs> Picture if it happens, right? Mason McTavish, oh, my goodness. Austin Matthews, Trevor Zegras, Connor Bedard.
1: To be completely honest, if that lineup ends up happening anything less than a cup is a failure
0: yeah yeah oh it's gonna be great Austin yeah. Matthews is gonna be the John Tavares to, of the current Leafs to the Ducks I am perfectly fine with that Oh, uh, Winterborne, why you gotta end on end this on this because we gotta get out of <laughs> here are you prepared for another top 10 pick next year it's not happening I'm I'm going out on my limb I'll let people call me toxically positive they're not going to be in a top 10 pick next year
1: I there's too much talent
0: on the team. There's too much talent on the team.
1: I am very much prepared for the worst hope for the best. But even like assuming Verbeek hires a competent coach, I just do not see any way that the ducks, the only way I see the ducks finishing that low is if they get hit by a bunch of injuries.
0: Yeah. So, all right. I think that's going to do it for us tonight. I need to go get some water. So I think we'll start getting out here unless you have anything else you want to bring up.
1: Nope. I think that's it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me back on and thank you for the great questions, everybody.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. So for everyone listening to this, we're going to start wrapping this up. So if you want to support us, please go the easiest way is to go to Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond, um, where you can support us at the dollar tree. You get access to the discord, probably the best dollar you can spend a month With $5 tier, you get two bonus episodes a month. Felix and I will be recording the second one of the month this weekend, so get questions in there. And we also have an elevated support if you just want to help us out at $15 a month. You get all of the other stuff. Um, It just helps us out a little bit more. Um, and if you also want to support us, go read us at crash the pond at the sporting tribune. You can leave us a rating and a review at on Apple podcast or on Spotify. Find our YouTube, like our video, subscribe to our channels. Uh, you can find us at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Uh, we're going to do this question really quickly before we fully wrap it up. Fat Drell said, do Henrique and Silph uh, and Silverberg stay on the team after next year? I'm going to go with no for both. N- yeah.
1: Agreed. No for both. Uh, um, yeah, the maybe on Henry can know on Self he'll go back to Sweden. That actually could be a realistic thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Self is really cut out to perform at an NHL level anymore. Like he he wasn't good last year. He wasn't God. He wasn't like Kessler awful with 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 the hip stuff. But he was not good. Um, but yeah, I think both are gone for sure permanently after next year
0: yep agreed all right so and you can find me on twitter at reindeer games 91 you can find cj at cj woodling you can find crash the Pond at crash the Pond. and so with all of that being said we will get on out of here thank you everyone goodbye bye everyone